Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 4th of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. Donald Trump is one of the most egregious examples of a growing global threat. The far right is on the rise around the world, threatening our hard-won rights and freedoms and the values that have defined our liberal democratic societies for more than 70 years. Viktor Orban in Hungary, Matteo Salvini in Italy, Marine Le Pen in France and Nigel Farage here in the UK are using the same divisive tropes of the fascists of the 20th century to garner support. Strong words articulated by London's Mayor Sadiq Khan in an op-ed in The Observer in which he criticised many of Donald Trump's most controversial policies and political stances including child separation at the southern border and the travel ban. No, he said, these are not the actions of European dictators of the 1930s and 40s nor the military juntas of the 1970s and 80s. I'm not talking about Vladimir Putin or Kim Jong-un. These are the actions of the leader of our closest ally, the President of uh, the United States. Uh, Donald Trump reacted angrily, tweeting from Air Force One as he landed at Stansted Airport yesterday, saying the mayor had been foolishly nasty in criticising him. He said he is a stone-cold loser who should focus on crime in London and not me. Born in Boston, Larry Donnelly is a law lecturer at NUI Galway and a political columnist for the journal .ie. He joins us now and a very good morning to you and thanks for joining us, Larry. Donald Trump said can reminds him very much of a very dumb and incompetent mayor of New York City. It was a dramatic start to a state visit if ever there was. Uh, it certainly was. Good morning, Michael. I, I, I suppose nothing surprises when it comes to Donald Trump. And again, uh, I suppose there was no avoiding uh, this something like this from happening. Uh, Sadiq Khan's criticism was very, very strong. There's no question about that. Uh, in my view, even though I'm an opponent of the, the president and his policies, uh, I think the mayor of London may have gone too far. Uh, on the flip side, uh, rather than just ignore uh, the criticism, which is what I would advise Donald Trump to do, or if he was going to respond uh, to deny or to rebuke some of the uh, comments that he would, might have regarded as over the top, uh, Donald Trump immediately went 
uh, on a personal attack, uh, and again, using language that we certainly wouldn't associate with uh, presidents of the United States, calling uh, a mayor of a major city like London a stone-cold loser, uh, and the one bit you didn't avert to uh, in your intro, uh, basically saying that you reminded him of Bill de Blasio, who's quite a tall guy, uh, the mayor of New York, uh, saying only that he's half his mm-hmm. height. Uh, and that's the kind of petty, personal stuff that unfortunately uh, is comes comes naturally, I'm afraid, uh, to President Trump. It is a, a remarkable use of words uh, for a head of state, but it was a state visit and uh, a very uh, impressive visit uh, in terms of how uh, he's uh, being greeted there. And uh, the state banquet last night, uh, I'm sure, took many people's breath away. Yeah, it's certainly the scenes and the, and the footage that we, in the, the speeches that we've seen so far, uh, revealed just, I suppose, how dignified a ceremony and everything else it was. It's certainly quite uh, an operation and quite a visit. And I think that the president will, uh, I think, be very happy with the reception he's received uh, from the queen and from others uh, in the royal family. Uh, I think that will contrast notably uh, with the protests that are on the street and certainly with the words of Sadiq Khan. Uh, one wonders. Uh, I suppose, why uh, the, the extent of the lengths to which have been gone to greet the president. Uh, perhaps it's because, and this is something I would feel myself, uh, that it's important to engage with Donald Trump, uh, given, for instance, the, the, I suppose in the first instance, the, the close relationship between uh, the United Kingdom uh, and the United States, especially as the U.K. faces into a pro- post-Brexit uh, environment. And indeed, once he arrives here, uh, the need for Ireland to engage uh, with the United States, given all the issues and all the ties that are on the, on the table. Despite how frequently people use the word awesome, uh, it, it's rarely as a, a appropriate to describe an event as uh, the event that we were watching last night. Uh, how does that play uh, at home in America, do you think, Larry? Because I, I take it there's very little to compare with it in the United States. Yeah, it's certainly something very different. And a, a lot of Americans would have a real curiosity uh, and indeed, uh, I suppose, a, begr- a begrudging admiration uh, and fascination with the royal family and with the way things are done uh, in the United Kingdom. And I looked at some of the American media coverage uh, of it this morning. That certainly uh, was in evidence. But at the end of the day, as with Donald Trump, just about anything mm-hmm. that ever happens, uh, your people in the United States' view of it uh, is going to be shaped one way or another by how they view the president. Uh, and again, uh, there's about 40% who think the president is great, and there's mm. about half the American people who, do, who can't who can't abide him. Uh, that shapes everything they see and hear and think about him. He's to meet Mrs. May today. Uh, he's uh, named who he believes should be her successor, Boris Johnson, and that Nigel Farage should be involved in Brexit negotiations. How do you think that meeting is going to go? And would you read anything into how it will be a roundtable meeting with business? leaders, and uh, I, I don't think there's a, a one-on-one meeting planned with uh, the Prime Minister. Yeah, you know, who knows what's going to go on uh, behind closed doors? I mean, a lot of the speculation in, in the run-up to the visit is, you know, would he have formal meetings with Johnson and Farage? Would he say things while he's in the United Kingdom? Uh, most of the commentary he's issued was actually in an interview with the Times uh, before he left the United States. So what kind of things he's going to say at that roundtable uh, is anybody's guess. And we do know that he is uh, sympathetic to Brexit. We do know that he's, uh, you know, I, I suppose doesn't have a very good view uh, of the European Union. Uh, how that will be greeted by business leaders uh, in the U.K. who obviously will have their own distinct concerns 
uh, about what's going to happen uh, is is anybody's guess. And I think also the, the big one on the table is uh, what kind of trade deal uh, could the UK expect to get uh, post-Brexit uh, with the United States? Uh, and again, Donald Trump indicated at one stage that he was very amenable to that. But given the climate in Washington, D.C., uh, trade deals with anybody uh, are viewed very, very suspiciously. So uh, it really is kind of anybody's guess how that meeting's going to go. Mm. And uh, I think there's uh, concerns about uh, the influence that he, he can yield. Uh, he's uh, obviously placed uh, these tariffs on Mexico. He's in a trade war with the Chinese. I think Mrs May is to raise that with him as a, an issue today, and there's concern that that could lead to a global recession. Uh, but uh, he probably uh, won't be too interested in what the outgoing Prime Minister has to say. No, I wouldn't think so. And the reality from, from Trump's point of view is that, politically speaking, a lot of what brought him to the White House was that he went off the reservation, so to speak, uh, on trade. He defied Republican free market, uh, free trade ideology. Uh, it's one of the things and one of the re- reasons so many people uh, across middle America who would see trade very, very differently to how Europeans would see it. Uh, they would see trade as something that's destroyed or, or free trade or so-called free trade, as they might call it, as something that's destroyed their lives and their livelihoods. Uh, so Donald Trump will be very mindful of those voters mm. uh, in key states that put him over the top. So I don't think he's going to be too pushed one way or another by what people on this side of the water say about Trump. Okay, and the president uh, yesterday tweeting about the warm welcome he was receiving and not much in uh, the way of protesters. Uh, we're told uh, that will change and change dramatically today when hundreds of thousands will take to the streets, it, it seems, to protest, not just over the visit, but obviously uh, the president's uh, policies. Uh, how do Americans uh, interpret that, Larry? Do they take it personally or do they take it as a protest done in a democratic fashion against political policies? I think Americans in many ways are conflicted in a sense. And I say that because I am one of them. I disagree with a lot of President Trump's policies. I have very little time for him, the person. But at some level, it does hurt. It does wound. I see people in our closest allies. Uh, out on the streets uh, protesting uh, against Donald Trump. And we know, for instance, that some of the protesters are absolutely opposed to Donald Trump. They can't divide him. Uh, They otherwise have a lot of time for the United States. But a lot of those protesters are people who don't have much time for the United States, who for all sorts of different reasons uh, don't really like uh, America. And at some level, you know, that does hurt. And it's one one of the things... Uh, that, you know, in my view, uh, yes, I, you know, there's so much I can't abide about Donald Trump. I don't know where to begin. But at the same time, uh, it doesn't really feel good to see uh, all of that protest. Now, there are other Americans, uh, especially those who would be on the, the, the high, uh, further to the left, uh, I suppose, who would say, yes, go ahead, protest. I think it's great to see. Uh, but I think a lot of us are torn by those images. But. When you don't like the policies of the president, uh, should you not let the president know? Oh, I, absolutely. And I think there's an absolute right to, you know, to protest. And I'm sure people, uh, there will be protests all around the country mm. here in Ireland uh, in the, in the, on the occasion of uh, his visit. But that being said, speaking strategically from an Irish point of view, yes, let the protests go ahead. But I think it's entirely appropriate, for instance, that the Taoiseach is meeting with him, uh, that people are going to engage with him, that we do welcome the president, not, maybe not with open arms, but that we do welcome the president to visit here. Because after all, 
uh, Island has access to the White House, which has continued under Donald Trump, somebody who arguably doesn't have a whole lot of interest now, but Irish access to the White House in, on or around March 17th has continued under his presidency, and other countries would absolutely kill uh, for that access. So we would be very foolish uh, to, I suppose, disinvite or treat with disrespect the president, because this relationship is a hell of a lot bigger uh, than Donald Trump. Okay, well, the president uh, will uh, arrive in Shannon uh, tomorrow and uh, there will be protests uh, across uh, the country. A big protest taking place in Dublin, or at least they're expecting a big turnout, which will also see the arrival of uh, the Trump baby blip, as it's called, on loan from London. There'll be protests in Cork, Galway, Ennis and Sligo, and the peace camp will be set up at uh, Shannon Airport. Uh, But uh, as you say, the Taoiseach Leo Radker is uh, to meet Mr. Trump. Uh, what do you expect uh, the two will talk about? Well, I, I think that the economic and financial ties, both in terms of uh, you know the American uh, firm multinationals that are here uh, and have created hundreds of thousands of jobs, uh, and not only that, I suppose the, the Irish investment in the United States, which has been worth uh, an awful lot of jobs across the U.S., uh, I think those will be on the agenda I think the E3 visa program, which, again, uh, Ireland has come very, very close on. This is a reciprocal arrangement that the United States has with Australia, and it allows uh, Australians to come and skilled Australians to come and work and live uh, in the United States. They get 10,000 visas every year to do so. However, they don't use them all. And a deal had been struck uh, for, so that Ireland could use the four to 5,000 visas that remain. However, that was held up. Uh, in the United States Senate by just one senator. Uh, Donald Trump is supportive uh, of Ireland getting the the remaining allocation of the visas. This is something the Irish government needs to continue uh, to press on. I think it's vitally important. Uh, And lastly, uh, again, we still have the vexed issue uh, of the thousands of Irish undocumented uh, in the United States. We know that Donald Trump uh, is not a fan of immigration. However, it is notable that two years ago, on Capitol Hill, upon hearing of the plight of the Irish undocumented, he did say to Paul Ryan, it would be good, the then Speaker of the House, it would be good if we could do something for them. So I think it's important that the team should keep that issue in play uh, and keep saying it to uh, the President of the United States. So there's all sorts of important things uh, that the Taoiseach needs to bring to the table. And what I would say is, despite how he might feel personally about Donald Trump, and we know he's been critical in the past, it seems they have some kind of rapport. It seems that the president has some kind of sneaking regard for him. Uh, and I think Leo Fratkin needs to be strategic. And to borrow a phrase from the mm-hmm. president himself, uh, I think he needs to put Ireland and Irish interests first in a very complicated time. OK, and uh, Mr. Trump will meet the Taoiseach at Shannon Airport, I think. Yes, and I, again, I, you know, I said it was mm-hmm. entirely appropriate for the Taoiseach to meet with him. Uh, I think it would have been entirely inappropriate uh, for the Taoiseach to go to Dune Beg, Donald Trump's house, as it were. Uh, I think Shannon Airport as a neutral venue is probably the most appropriate place uh, for them to meet. Uh, they have room there. They have space there. From a security perspective, I, I expect, uh, you know, that the everything is in place. Everything is in place there. So I think that Shannon is probably a reasonably good place for them to have their meeting. Okay, and uh, some uh, officials uh, and indeed very important uh, people will uh, attend a dinner then on uh, Thursday evening in Doonbeg, I think. Is that the case? 
Yeah, I, I believe so. Mm. I mean, some of these arrangements are still, uh, I suppose, somewhat floating, somewhat mm. uh, up in the air. But I would expect that uh, once the, 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 the public aspect of this visit is going to be uh, at Shannon, once Trump is at Doonbeg, uh, I'm not sure there's going to be a heck of a lot going on. I, I suspect that mm. he'll hack it down. Uh, we know how much he loves to play golf. I know he's going to get at least one round in. But I think that the the, made, the headline events here uh, are going to happen at Shannon. But again, you never know with Donald Trump. Mm. And, and local people are to be dancing in the streets, quite literally, it seems. I think there's a, a music festival on and all sorts of celebrations to mark uh, the presidential visit to Dunbeg. Uh, but I, I don't think they expect to meet the president either. No, they, there was some hope, I understand, that he would come into the village. Uh, I would be very, very surprised, given the security apparatus around the president's uh, if that is allowed or if his Secret Service people allow it. Uh, it's worth just noting for a second the extraordinary security operation uh, that surrounds all of this. We know that some 600 Secret Service personnel uh, will be with him. Uh, we know that the, there's a nuclear submarine which is going to be positioned just off the coast of Clare. Uh, we know all the manhole covers are being screwed in. We know it's costing the Irish taxpayer 11 million euro uh, in terms of data and civil defense. Uh, over time, this is some operation there. And, and just returning to the people in Doonbeg, uh, it is notable that that, that that they have a very different opinion of Donald Trump to most of the people in Ireland. And that is because, quite frankly, they're speaking with their own economic self-interest. Uh, they're a place mm-hmm. that if it weren't for the golf resort, uh, there's hundreds, literally hundreds uh, of people who wouldn't be there, who would have had to leave. Uh, and they're there because they have a livelihood due to Donald Trump. So it is fascinating to see that different view of him. Mm, and a, a chance uh, to showcase Dunbeg globally. Uh, will people around the world notice? It, it will garner some notice. Yeah, it will garner mm. some notice. Again, how much notice probably will be down to what Donald Trump says or does while he's here. But certainly there's been American coverage in the American media uh, of uh, the, the, the UK visit that's been covered all over the world. Uh, and I expect that there will be some news coverage uh, for Ireland. So as you say, uh, it is an opportunity for Dunebeg. Uh, there is no question but that some people will come to Dunebeg in future because it will get on their radar screen. Uh, and I think this is one of the important things in the broader context for uh, Ireland to remember is that in Irish America, those who, you know, people who have an affinity for Ireland, no longer are they just Democrats. Uh, they're across the ideological spectrum. A lot of them uh, are, are fans of Donald Trump. And just as uh, awfully has become a hotspot uh, for tourism in some mm. respects uh, after the Obama visit, Dunbeg will have that same kind of impact. And as, as I said, more broadly speaking, I think it's important for the Irish government to engage with that swathe of Irish America that aren't old-fashioned Democrats to engage with Republicans and people who are more conservative. Okay, we'll have much uh, to look at and uh, to absorb over the coming days in London and indeed here when uh, Mr uh, Trump uh, arrives at uh, Shannon tomorrow. It'll be Friday afternoon before he leaves again. But thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning on the programme. Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at NUI Galway and uh, political columnist for the journal.ie. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, Columba McVeigh was just 17 years of age when he disappeared in November of 1975. Uh, today, a uh, search for his remains is underway in County Monaghan. John Hill, Senior Investigator with uh, the Independent Commission for the Location of uh, Victims' Remains, is leading the search and joins us now from Bragg and Bog. And uh, a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for taking the time to be with us. Uh, who was Columba McVeigh? Columba McVeigh was uh, a young man from the um, from the local area. Um, he, he wasn't a um, anyone who featured uh, in any in any um, subversive activities, as far as we're aware. Um, he was just a young man at the time, was living in Dublin, and was taken away. Uh, and it's as simple as that. And do we know why? Because it's believed uh, that he was taken away by the IRA who murdered him and secretly buried him. Mm. Well, it, it's not something we, we would be concerned in. The, uh, the whys um, and the, and the why, uh, or more so the whys, are not something we're concerned with. All we're concerned in is where he is. So whatever happened, why it happened, is not a concern of ours. There are all sorts of rumours around them, and I don't concern myself with those. Okay, Uh, I think uh, the main rumour is uh, that uh, the IRA, at least, uh, say that he had confessed to being an intelligence agent for the British Army. Uh, But 44 years on from his disappearance, uh, what hope is there of uh, discovering his remains? There there is, of course, hope. Um, We've been in this position with a number of cases. The possibility is still there. Um, that it can be found. It's just it has to be in the right area. The difficulty is finding exactly that location. We're not very far from where other searches have been conducted since 1999. A number of searches have been conducted, all virtually within the same proximity, within a few hundred metres or so. And it's just finding the exact spot where he is. That's that's the problem and that's the difficulty. We're hopeful that, that at the moment that we're halfway through a search, which is the, the zone where he will be found. Mm. We have an area of about an acre that we propose to search and we're about halfway through. So we're just about to restart the second half of that. Uh, and uh, there have been many victims, 16 victims, I think, uh, who became known as the disappeared uh, and Columba McVeigh, one of those. Uh, but you've uh, discovered the remains of 13 victims so far that's right yeah so there's three left to be found um and, and we're, of course we're, we're hopeful with uh, with all of them um but at the moment this is the only one that we have positive information on that we can actually conduct a search on and is there any reason do you think uh, why uh, this uh, part of the world was chosen to disappear these people is it uh, because it's an isolated area or is it because it's bog land and soft ground uh, for digging graves I would suspect both of those feature. Um, it, it would be very easy to, to dig here because it's um, it is an area where people were digging anyway. It wouldn't be unusual to see someone there with a with a shovel digging an area cutting peat. Um, but it's also very desolate, um, so there wouldn't be a whole lot of people travelling in and around that area. Um, I, I, you know, to, mm. to try and guess as to why it's this this particular area is chosen would be would be wrong and foolish. The fact is, this is where we believe he is, and this is where we have to conduct our search. But typically, uh, are, are they shallow graves or, or deeper? Uh, and uh, we see heavy machinery there. I'm just uh, wondering what the purpose of that is. Okay. Um, it, 
generally they're not um, deep graves but we couldn't exclude that we base our searches on the information that's available to us and uh, that information in many occasions we'll give, we'll give details of how deep the uh, grave may be they're not always accurate um, because at the time people aren't making notes of uh, how deep graves are mm. um, and of course the terrain changes over the years as well now in this particular search a number of searches have been conducted as I say and a lot of spoil a lot of earth has been moved around so it takes us quite some time to even get to what would have been um, the height of the ground back in 1975 when this happened mm. then from there on we would then conduct the search down to a level that we are happy that there's been no disturbance in the ground. Uh, and so the, the archaeologists are there to guide us on that. Sure. Uh, and uh, what uh, effect uh, does uh, the peat have on uh, a corpse? Uh, does it preserve the body at all? Well, no, it doesn't. Um, mm. In my experience, it has been that it hasn't. Um, but that changes from site to site. Um, there may be, there, of course, there are examples of bog bodies where where they have been preserved for hundreds of years. Mm. So to say that it does or it doesn't would would be inaccurate. It depends very much on where it is and the circumstances of of each one. Um, so your search is uh, for skeletal remains, uh, uh, and uh, undoubtedly. Uh, they're very fragile uh, at this stage, uh, so the approach you take has uh, to be slow and methodical. Absolutely, yeah, and we're very cautious about that. Um, the machinery that we use, as you rightly say, is very heavy plant machinery, but it's actually working on steel plate mats that are about three inches, four inches thick um, with a with a soft centre. So um, they're three metres by four metres. The machinery work on those. So they preserve the integrity of the ground and, of course, any remains that may be below them. So there's, there's no possibility that the machines will be um, disturbing the ground to such an extent that we wouldn't find what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a reward uh, offered for information not so long ago, uh, 53,350 euro, I think, uh, is uh, what it amounts to uh, when uh, it's converted uh, from dollars. Uh, but uh, that had nothing to do with the decision to carry out uh, this search today, because this is actually resuming a search that begun in September, isn't it? No, that's right. Yeah, it, it's, it has no bearing on that. Um, it's information that was in our possession some some time ago, uh, and this search started in September of last year. The uh, reward that's been offered is in relation to new information, and this currently isn't new information. Okay, uh, and uh, to search the entire area uh, that uh, you've identified uh, this time round, uh, how long will that take uh, to conclude? It's very difficult to say. It depends so much on the weather and on the conditions, and there's no point in trying to put a time scale on it. It will take as long as it needs to take. Um, we had the area set out that we proposed to search, uh, and that's the area that we will search. So, yeah, unfortunately, I can't put a time scale mm-hmm. on it, and we don't need to. Very, very important uh, work that you're doing, uh, and all the more so for uh, people uh, who uh, would be related to Columba McVeigh. Uh, has he uh, surviving family members who are waiting for results? Yes, of course they they are, of course, waiting for results. But they're, you know, whilst they're still hopeful, as we all are, they've they've had their hopes dashed a number of times in the past. So they don't get their hopes too high. They're not too. Um, they're not delusional about what the the, uh, the the circumstances that we're working in, um, but of course they're hopeful as we all are.
Okay, John. Well, look, thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning from Bragham Bog. That's uh, John Hill, Senior Investigator with the Independent Commission for the Location of Victims' Remains. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. You know, every long weekend, uh, the Gardaí and Road Safety Authority uh, will ask you uh, to take care on the roads and uh, also warn you uh, to watch out uh, for speed checks and such like, and uh, that Gardaí will be out in force. But every long weekend, uh, sees people coming home telling us that they travelled the length and breadth of the country and didn't see one Garda car. If that was uh, the case a year ago, perhaps... Uh, It's even more so the case this year because uh, one in four people believe uh, that uh, Garda presence has uh, declined on Irish roads in the past 12 months and a vast majority of people believe uh, that there should be more Garda policing the roads. This is according uh, to uh, an A Roadwatch survey and Barry Aldward is a senior media officer with AA Ireland. He joins us now and thanks uh, for doing so, Barry. I suppose it's very difficult to gauge the accuracy of people's perception. Uh, they are telling you that they're not seeing the Gardaí, but maybe they're not in the right place. Yeah, I think I think that's always going to be the case with something like this. It's kind of you're relying on people to effectively self-report. And I mean, they may just simply not encounter a guard on their route. They may encounter a guard on their route and just not take notice But this does feed into a bit of a wider issue that we know the stats do back up in that between really the end of last year and going back as far as kind of 2013-14 when the recession first kicked off, we did see major cuts to Garda resources and particularly to Garda traffic policing manpower. And we're now coming out the other side where we've seen government commitment to at least restoring that to pre-recession levels but that's going to be a slow process so even if kind of you might have a question of well maybe these people simply aren't encountering guardies they're just not in the place where the guards mm. are we do know when you look at the data there are less guardies out on our roads and there is there is ultimately a real risk to that and why do you think so many people want more guardie on the roads 50% of people believe very strongly that there should be more guardie and over 28% of people agree somewhat yeah, I think ultimately this comes back to Irish people have come a long way as it relates to road safety. And if you look at our road safety record, the number of deaths we see on our roads have dropped significantly, particularly in the last decade. And I think to an extent, Irish people are proud of that and proud of that progress and want to see that progress continue. So we look at kind of the importance of having Gardaí out there in preventing road deaths. And that's something that people want to see that work continue. And similarly, I think people are aware that as Garda presence on the roads has diminished somewhat over the last couple of years, you tend to see behaviour has gotten a bit worse. You'll see a little a little increase in people mm. deciding, I'll take the chance of drink driving because I've never seen a guard on the road from the pub to my home in the last five years. Or you'll see people that bit, that bit more willing to break the speed limit. So I think ultimately people are well aware that the more Garda presence there is out there, the more visibility of Garda you have on our roads, the better behaviour tends to be. And I think, you know, look, there's probably 80, 90% of motorists who will behave irrespective of Garda presence, but it is just about that small cohort who will only behave if they feel there's a 
the risk of being caught. And maybe you that want them. maybe that's reflected in the survey because about eighty percent of drivers want more Gardaí on the road. So uh, perhaps it follows uh, that twenty percent of drivers are the ones who are guilty of bad behaviour. Yeah, so can, can you necessarily say that 20% are guilty of bad behaviour? No, but I think it, it's a good point and you can probably draw some connection there. I think the people who will support more Gardaí on the roads generally are doing so because they think or they know that they're mm. behaving well and that they see a cohort of motorists who aren't. So I wouldn't necessarily say you have 20% of people breaking driving laws, but I think where you see the 80% supporting an increase in Garda presence, it does stack up that those people are doing so because they really don't feel there's any risk to them of being caught because they're sticking within the rules and they want to see those who are flouting Irish road safety law punished for it. That's it, I suppose. If you were speeding on a regular basis, you wouldn't really want Mark Gardee on the roads to catch you. Absolutely. I think that's kind of where it comes back to. If you're if you're looking at kind of road safety laws as, uh, I'll, I'll stick to them when it suits me, you're not going to want more Gardaí out there. And there may be a small argument that some people could make of maybe, you know, this money could be better used somewhere else. I personally don't see that as being the case. I think we are in a dangerous position where road safety and the progress we have made could actually become a victim of its own success if we don't continue to invest in Gardaí and that we could fall into the trap of looking at road safety as a battle won when that's really not the case. So I don't think the money is going to be spent uh, better elsewhere. Certainly, I think government should not only be returning Garda manpower to pre-recession levels, but looking to increase it beyond that. All right. Uh, another issue you're raising today is uh, the cost of petrol in particular. Four cent more expensive on average than would have been the case a month ago. Yeah, so this is a, a regular issue, and I think one that Irish motorists are all too familiar with. And we saw last year in particular a great deal of volatility at the pumps. Things a little bit more steady this year, but within the last month or two, because of a couple of external factors and even our own taxation system, we've seen the cost of petrol specifically, but of both fuels, increase quite significantly. So we know that you know political unrest in the Middle East OPEC supply, that's all having a, an effect on what we pay at the pump. And I think you know there is an argument to be made here. We're coming up to that lovely budget time of year again, and I think government should, at the very least, be having a look at the situation motorists are facing mm. and seeing if the extent to which we tax both petrol and diesel is actually negatively affecting people's ability to commute to and from work. Right, uh, because uh, the more expensive it costs per litre of petrol, the more money the government raises. Yeah, so again, the tax, uh, when you look at your litre of petrol or your litre of diesel, what you pay at the pump, about 60% of that is government taxation. So the the more it costs per litre, the more revenue the government is going to generate. And obviously no one's calling for a tax-free litre of petrol. But we do need to look at to what extent you are punishing people really for a history of government failure to invest adequately in public transport, particularly in rural areas. You have a lot of people across the country who the only way they can get to and from work is the private car. And now if you are putting high tax on top of a high cost of litre of petrol, you're really kind of putting those people in a position where some of them do have to start to question of, can I even afford to continue to commute to work? Mm. Uh, and what's pushing up the prices? 
Uh, so there's a few factors. So we know that uh, that OPEC, the oil producing countries, there were some supply cuts there as a result of kind of political unrest in several oil producing nations, and that's having an effect on crude oil prices. Mm. Particularly, this kind of trend, you can almost bank on it that during the summer months we're going to see a rise in petrol specifically, because again there's still a huge uh, huge culture in America of driving as part of their holiday or taking car trips across the state, and you tend to see that increases demand stateside for petrol specifically because the amount of diesel cars in the state is actually quite small. So again, as the demand goes up, America being one of the leading oil, well, I suppose oil producing to an extent, but also an, an intake in terms of oil and has quite high demand for oil, that then when you come to the summer season and you have more people taking to the roads, that's reflected in a global demand and it drives the prices up for all of us. But uh, the international price, uh, the barrel of oil has got more expensive, has it? Yes, yeah, so it, it's been kind of, again, fluctuating quite significantly. So we've seen throughout, uh, throughout the last month or so, the cost of a barrel of crude oil has been sitting somewhere between 70 and $73. Now, if you went back to April, for example, it was topping out at about $69 a barrel, sometimes actually a little bit lower than that. So again, where you see crude oil prices increase, that increase is going to be passed on to the pump. Mm. But really, all these external factors, it's worth remembering, they only make up about 40% of what we pay for our petrol. Yeah, because a, a barrel of oil is what, about 160 litres of oil? Approximately, yes. Yeah, there or thereabouts, uh, and uh, at seventy dollars, uh, you're talking about forty cent a, a, a litre. But when we uh, get it uh, into our cars, uh, we're paying so much more. As you say, uh, it's now what one forty-six a, a litre, just over one forty-six for yeah. a litre of petrol. So again, I think the the most important takeaway from this. Look, we, we would all love, I think, government to have an assessment of the taxation. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. Mm. So I think the message for motorists is just to be loyal to your own pockets. We're all somewhat guilty of falling into the habit of going to the same garage time in, time out, mm. because maybe it's local or it's on our commute home. But get into the habit of, you know, there is an advantage for the consumer in that petrol stations across the country have to display their prices openly. Get into the habit of just checking the the station that you do pass and seeing there may be one that's a couple of cents cheaper than the others this week or the, another mm. one that's a couple of cents cheaper than the others next week. And by just keeping an eye out for that thing, it's only going to be maybe a few cents, a couple of euro on every top of max, but it is going to add up over the course of a year. It, it is mad, isn't it? Out of the 146 a, a litre, over a euro uh, is for something other than the oil and a lot of it uh, to the government and taxes. Absolutely, and I think kind of this is one of the things where government's PR efforts have actually been quite uh, quite successful in that when we look at fuel prices and one of the regular complaints we get is people assuming that the petrol station or the garage yeah. must be making a fortune on fuel. Not the case. On average, your petrol station owner, they're getting about four cents on every litre they sell, if not less. So really, when we talk about prices going up or down at the pumps, it's tax and tax is the main reason. Okay, Barry, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Barry Aldworth, Senior Media Officer with AA Ireland. 
Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Maggie McGuire joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Maggie. Morning, Michael. How are you doing? Um, it's a horrible rainy day out there, so people are obviously all staying inside and deciding mm. to ring us instead because oh. it's been very busy oh, right. um, okay. on the phone mm. and on the text machine. So I get straight to it. It's okay. probably the handiest. What are people talking about? Um, I'll give you one guess. Mm. On, the weather? Yeah. Actually, he made a very uh, funny comment, I, I thought, yesterday in his uh, speech uh, to the Queen. He thanked her for all hospitality and the very good weather. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know uh, if we uh, get uh, to do that with Leo Varadkar when he comes here, in fairness. I presume it's him you're talking about. It is, mm. it is him. I mean, there's only one topic of conversation really mm. this morning with everybody. Mm. Um, we had Mary in contact with us this morning to, um, to ask how much is this uh, visit actually going to cost the state or are America going to help cover the costs in any way. Um, she says she hasn't spoken to one person who wanted this visit to go ahead. So if it's so unpopular with the public here, and given that it's funded by taxpayers' money, surely we, the people, should have a say in how long he stays and how much money is spent on it. There's far better ways to spend our money than pandering to a man like Trump. OK, well, I, I think uh, the cost of the security is uh, around €11 million Euro for us. Uh, but of course, uh, there's hundreds of CII, CIA fellas uh, mm. and the like uh, around the place, uh, so there's a significant cost uh, to the American states as well. Yeah, and on the same subject, mm. um, Theresa Mead was saying she was amazed to hear how much it's costing us. She has a figure mm. of 10 million, so obviously mm. if, if it's 11 million, it's updated. Um, she's saying that there's homeless people on the streets and people on trolleys and hospitals not being considered, and she kind she says she finds it hard to figure out what our government priorities are sometimes when they're prepared to give over money for a visit like this rather mm. than spending it on what really counts. Well, of course, it's all of the people who are working in uh, the country that pay taxes to the government that allows the government to raise the money to build the hospitals and to staff them and so on uh, and uh, a lot of uh, the jobs created by American companies in this country so I suppose that's the other argument. Well this is mm-hmm. it um, and on the same subject we're saying if it's such a short trip and if he's staying in his own hotel mm-hmm. how is the cost so much? <laughs> she doesn't understand uh, why, why mm. it's 11 million and it's as you said just as you've outlined it's mm. obviously the security and everything that comes along with that so yep. you know but I suppose it does kind of beggar belief mm. 11 million sounds like a yeah. lot of money for a couple of days you know yeah, well, he's probably the most wanted man in, in the world if you take the views of what people would call terrorist organisations into account well, there's, mm. a, there's a few different words you could probably mm. substitute for wanted in there when you put most in front of it you know, mm. he, he is definitely um a very controversial figure, like, you know. Mm. Well, there's no doubt about it. It's very interesting, actually. Just been reading through some of the letters uh, to the Irish Examiner. The Irish Examiner has published uh, a number of letters uh, today uh, after asking people to write on their views uh, about uh, the visit, uh, but uh, an awful lot of people very mm. much opposed to it. Uh, the likes of Colm O'Gorman has written a letter of Amnesty International, the Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign, the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, uh, some... TDs, Extinction Rebellion has uh, also put a pen to paper. Seamus Dooley, who's from uh, the National Union of Journalists. Uh, I think it is the Women's Council, the National yes. Women's Council. Yes, Orlo O'Connor. Sec- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Absolutely. the Sex Workers yeah. of Ireland as well. Like. Yeah, that was an interesting one. Yeah, yeah it was a bit. Yeah, yeah. it was interesting. Okay. Yeah, we might even uh, get some time to read out uh, some extracts uh, from some of uh, these letters uh, before we finish up today as well. The Irish Feminist Network, uh, another one, and the Union of Students in Ireland, uh, another letter to the paper today. Well, staying with Trump, because mm. as I said, he was the key to 
talking point this morning. Um, Mary wants to know if he's any media advisors at its at his disposal, and if he does, why do they allow him access to social media? Um, his trade against Mayor Khan was cringeworthy to say the least. Um, he hadn't even set foot in the country, and he'd managed to kick off with one of their leading politicians. How to start the third? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. World War in a hundred characters or less. <laughs> yeah. I tell you, he would keep could give a masterclass because yeah. he's brilliant mm. at that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, she's just saying that he's a he's an embarrassment, and that the thought of him being re-elected for a second term makes Mary despair for the future of the entire world, okay. which is a big statement. That's a big statement indeed. Mm. All right, uh, let's talk about uh, some other issues. As you've been hearing, uh, there's been some concern down on Betty's Town Beach. Uh, Fine Gael councillor Paddy Mead uh, joins us now, and uh, a very good morning to you and thank. Thanks for taking the time to be with us, Paddy. Uh, Tell us uh, uh, about uh, this uh, fence uh, that you've uh, dismantled. Hello, Michael, and hello, listeners. Look, it's the second time it's happened in recent weeks. Uh, It's quite a unique thing there at Bettystown Beach. There's a bit of land. It's between the convent and the golf course, uh, and it's unregistered. So effectively, nobody owns it. Uh, But it has always been a public right away to the beach, and a lot of locals and that have always used it. And it's a special area of conservation, and an area where you you wouldn't be allowed to construct anything. So back a few weeks ago, uh, an individual put a fence around the area, area mm. um, and it, w- it was knocked sh- shortly afterwards but the fence I suppose it was only stuck into the ground then last week a more professional job uh, was done the posts were concreted into the ground and there was a temporary structure put up uh, now by the time I landed on the site the following morning a number of locals were there as well and we dismantled it uh, and now look we, I want to make it very clear we didn't damage any of this man's property we pulled the staples out of the poles that rolled up his wire and we stacked his poles for him to collect nicely and what it would appear is that unregistered land if if you were to put a fence around it and a temporary structure and get away with it for 12 years under squatting laws in ireland you you would then own the 
piece of property. This, however, is heavily opposed by myself as one of the local councillors and the, the local residents. Mm. So we, we dismantled it. And are you sure that you've acted legally? Well, the guards were on site and uh, the guards uh, did tell us that, uh, you know, it was a civil matter. It, uh, they seemed to have no issue with us. They advised the person, I believe, that put up the fence that it would be knocked. The, the only criminal damage that I think has been done is by the man who put up the fence. As I said, the area is a special area of conservation. He dug about 40 holes, poured concrete into them in this special area of conservation and done considerable damage to the ground. He also I suppose it could be argued that uh, you may have added to that damage by removing them. No, we took them out very gently, Michael. Uh, so don't be trying to make an argument here. Oh, no, we're not. No, no, I mean, yeah. the thing is you don't do anything on a special area of conservation unless you're qualified to do so. Yeah, well, well, Michael, look at it. I'm an architect as well, so I'll, I'll put that half on me if you want. Okay. Well, but, uh, no, the poles were took out uh, with as little damage as possible to, to the area. Uh, I don't think anyone, anyone who, who has seen this or seen the pictures will, will, would agree. Uh, and the area is pretty much back to where it was. However, there's a lot of rubbish in that which was left there, possibly by the person who erected the mm. poles. Uh, and I would like them, they did come back and collect their polls. I would like if they would come back and collect okay. the rest of the stuff. Okay. Well, I, I, I don't know if there is a, a question uh, about how you've acted, uh, but, you know, there are things like where did you place the polls? Uh, do you know yeah. if there was wildlife or uh, fauna below uh, the polls when you put them down there and that sort of thing? But that's a, 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 another yeah. day's work. I no, Michael, uh, I left the polls in the best, the polls were left in the best possible spot. Uh, so I, I'm not going to even be brought into a photo question on that. But a bigger question, I suppose, is on rights away here onto Bettystown Beach and Laytown and Mornington. And there has been historical rights away. And, you know, they, they are in, in law and sh- should be, you know, no one sh- should be coming on onto our beach and trying to cordon these off. Is uh, the coastline not always in the ownership of the state? Uh, the actual coastline is... But there's these sand dunes between the coastline right. and 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 the nearest road, and I suppose it's that area that's in question here. Okay, well look, we we'll leave it there. Thank you very much indeed, Daisy and Paddy Mead. It certainly made uh, Maggie McGuire laugh. Thanks very much uh, for that, uh, Maggie. Let's go back to some of the calls that you've been getting. And um, we go back to the issue of the guardian on our roads. Um, Mick was in contact to say that speed vans aren't situated um, where there's real danger in his opinion. He thinks that um, basically you see them in areas where you know people are going maybe 5 or 10 kilometres over the limit and really they should be based where there are a high de- number of deaths in the road um, because this might be the best way of catching people who are causing these accidents okay. in the first place. I thought a lot of the speed uh, traps if you like or checkpoints are, are uh, selected on the basis but, uh, yeah, of it being a black spot area. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, what I would have thought as well but he mm-hmm. seems to have a different opinion. Okay. He thinks that it's kind of a mm-hmm. he's implying that it's a, it's a money-making um, scenario rather than anything else, really. Okay. Um, and on the issue of um, people driving and using their mobile phones, um, and for me, it's in contact to say there's still an awful lot of people who um, 
drive on the roads while still using their phones. A lot of people still haven't got the message about how dangerous that is. And um, Tom was in touch saying he's been driving for over 15 years and not once has he been stopped and breathalyzed. He said he doesn't drink or drive, um, but it's no wonder that people do because there's little chance of them being caught and more needs to be done. Okay, well, I hope that's not the case. Mm. And I'll just finish up with a couple of quick comments in Mm. relation to the petrol prices. A lot of people are very happy that you're having that conversation with Barry from the AA this Mm. morning. Dave was saying he was delighted to hear us talking Mm. about it because they've gone through the roof in recent months and people are being priced off the road just as Barry said. He's saying the government needs to do something to cap prices because people simply can't afford to run their cars anymore and it's seriously impeding on their quality of life. And Anne wants to know why there's no uniformity of pricing when it comes to fuel. You can drive around any town in the North East and you see different prices for petrol at pretty much every station which you'd see yourself anyway. And how are they allowed to do that? Surely they should all be made charged the same price. Okay, well I think that's called competition, isn't it? Well this is uh, it. I think you mentioned it as well. 146, I think you said. Well, I know yeah, that that's the average, yeah. in a town yeah. I was in over the weekend was 149, mm. and in another town was 151. So yeah. it mm-hmm. just it seems yeah. to be. Well, you'd have to assume it's 144 somewhere as well. Exactly. Uh, oh, you absolutely, you yeah. Reach that average, which is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. this is it, exactly. All right, uh, thanks uh, for that, Maggie, and uh, thanks uh, to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to us being said, as always, we'd love to hear from you, and our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, uh, recount is uh, to get underway, as you know, in uh, the Ireland South constituency in uh, the European election. 756,000 ballot papers will have to be rechecked in order to fill the five seats there. Meanwhile, locally, the four seats to the Parliament have uh, been filled in uh, the Midlands North West constituency. Matt Carthy, Sinn Féin MEP, has been returned and is our first opportunity since uh, the results uh, to speak to him. He's on the line and uh, a very good morning and indeed congratulations to you. Good morning and thank you, Michael. Were you uh, worried at any stage? Uh, It did seem as though your re-election was in question at times. Well, on the first count, we were 20,000 votes ahead of the fifth place contender. So naturally when it comes down to transfers you have no idea how they're going to go but as it happened on the final count we were still 20,000 votes ahead so as it transpired the seat was never in jeopardy despite the fact that clearly the Sinn Féin vote across the Midlands North West had dropped um, in line with the rest of the state Um, Mm. so we have a number of questions to ask ourselves but to answer your question we're delighted to, to be returned and as it transpired there was no real fear um, during the count process of losing the seat. Okay, and congratulations to you, as I say. But as you say yourself, it, it was a, a bad uh, election for Sinn Féin and Ireland South, uh, I suppose, part of that and the reason for the recount and to see uh, if uh, the result can be any different and uh, give a seat to Leah Nurida. Do you care to answer some of those questions that you think need to be asked by Sinn Féin about its own performance? Yeah, I think we're still asking, to be quite frank about it. Um, To be honest, I entered into this election campaign under the assumption that we would have a battle on our hands. We always concentrated our own campaign on the basis that we'd be fighting for one of the last two seats, just on the basis of some of the new contenders coming into the race, some very high-profile independent candidates were in the race. We always were working on the assumption that Fianna Fáil were going to win a seat, I have to say, Um, just the logic of the numbers would have suggested that so we went in expecting to be under pressure um, but 
we did not see the scale of the vote drop that happened across the state. And I have to say, I've been on the campaign trail since January um, when we finished up on the Thursday, even before polls um, opened. Um, we sat around with our own central campaign team and I said honestly, and I would repeat it now, I couldn't think of any single thing we could have done additionally in terms of our own campaign and we did not see the drop of the uh, drop in support in some areas where we had some really really hard working um, councillors where we had some really committed and dedicated new candidates mm. and where the electorate just didn't support them in the same numbers as they have done previously so do I, you think I'm people want exactly Sinn Féin sure. to take seats in Westminster I, it's hard to know. It was mm. something that was raised quite a, uh, quite a bit during the campaign. I don't really know. It's not as if that was a new policy. You know. So what we're looking at in many respects is a situation where people who voted for the party five years ago didn't come out in the same numbers this year. Our policy in relation to Westminster was the same five years ago. But to be quite honest about it, Michael, I'm an Irish Republican. I would lose my seat rather than sell out on my principles. So, you know, um, that's when people vote for Sinn Féin, they know it, They know what they get when it comes to issues. Such Do as they? Because uh, uh, that, 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 that's a, another interesting question. Do they? Uh, because, I mean, it has been suggested that Sinn Féin is a, a party of protest uh, and it's that perception that led to a, a drop in Sinn Féin's popularity. But as a party of protest that protests against Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, uh, why would you go into government with them? Because uh, that's something uh, that you've been courting and perhaps it's uh, a move too far to the right for your supporters. Well, again, I think probably there's a difficulty in nuance in terms of how we articulate. So you're right that many people see us as, um, or accuse us, um, I suppose is a better way of framing it, of being a party of protest. But if you look at all the key issues of the day, it is Sinn Féin and Sinn Féin alone that actually put forward substantive, detailed policy proposals in relation to dealing and tackling with the housing mm. crisis, for example, putting forward an alternative mechanisms by which we can actually deliver a health care service that, that delivers for everybody, regardless of their wealth or where they live in the country. It is Sinn Féin that has put forward on an annual basis, we're the only opposition party in Europe that I'm aware of, mm. that on an annual basis puts forward an, a fully costed alternative budget proposal to that in which the government are, uh, the government are pursuing. So they're not the actions of a protest party, okay. but um, clearly um, it appears that some people either see us as solely a protest party or some people don't see us as strong enough as a protest vote. In relation to government, I, I think, again, the nuance is, is, is probably um, a difficulty here because what we have said is we have no desires to simply prop up a Fianna Fáil or a Fianna Gael government in the same way as the Labour Party or the Greens or the Independent Alliance are currently um, do, doing and the others have done in the past. Um, but we do want to be in government because we want to implement those po um, policies that I've, I, I'm, I've mentioned. And what we want to do is get into government on the basis of being able to deliver a progressive programme. But if, program. if that's with Fine Gael and so or Fianna Fáil or if there's the possibility of that, that's where people fail to understand. Yeah, and I think that's probably the, the difficulty in terms of the nuance that people, mm. people um, 
may not have um, have been given the opportunity to fully understand. What about the nuance uh, attached to Chucky R. Law and indeed uh, the leadership of uh, the party? Because some people would say that the problem lies with Mary Lou Macdonald. The presidential campaign was disastrous. Uh, she's uh, made uh, comments uh, that could have uh, really scuppered uh, the chances of recruiting uh, the uh, PSNI uh, commissioner uh, with political input uh, and so on and uh, she's been criticised over her role in the Public Accounts Committee. Well again, Mary Lou is who Mary Lou is. Before Mary Lou was appointed as leader, my entire political life was spent on radio programmes mm. and on TV debates um, listening to so-called experts telling us that if only we got rid of Jerry Adams and put Mary Lou MacDonald mm. in, all Sinn Féin's problems would be solved. I so, never bought that. So were they wrong? Uh, is Mary Lou MacDonald's biggest problem that she isn't Jerry Adams? No, I think that um, our problems, as evidenced through the results that we received last Friday week, um, are bigger than any one person. I'm a part of the Sinn Féin collective leadership and that means that we do have to ask ourselves some really hard questions because there, it is one thing taking an electoral hit as clearly we did. It is another when you take that electoral um, hit and cannot define, especially in the short term, why exactly it was. And that's the position that Sinn Féin are in. So what, I think one of the things that we really need to do is go back and listen to, uh, um, to our members and also our supporters because as a lot of people... Um, who voted for us five years ago, clearly voted for somebody else last Friday week. I think, crucially, it's Mm. quite evident that a lot of people who voted for us didn't come out at all um, and vote last Friday week. So that's that's a more worrying aspect of um, the questions that we need to ask ourselves and how we we, um, resolve that. Because in many cases, those people have the most to gain from a strong Sinn Féin and from an alternative political position. As okay. You were asked last week, Matt Carthy, uh, if part of Sinn Féin's problems lay in uh, the allegations of bullying within the party, which has led to, to uh, a number of uh, councillors leaving Sinn Féin, or if it had to do with uh, the cover-up of uh, sexual abuse claims. And you said that uh, the abuse cover-up claims were media-generated stories. Uh, one of the claims was made by Paddy McGahan uh, in County Louth and uh, reading the Irish Independent today he's calling for you to make a full apology he says we want Matt Carthy to know that we are not a media generated issue we are human beings who were raped and abused by an IRA man and then further victimised when the Republican movement tried to silence us and sweep us under the carpet just like they attempted to do with Maria Cahill how would you care to respond to that? I'm glad to get an opportunity to clarify just to say what happened in that interview was that three specific issues and very separate issues were put to me. And what I had said was that what I meant to say, I should say, is that some of those issues are bigger issues in the media as opposed to being mentioned on the on the doorstep. I didn't want to for one second minimize Um, the experiences of Paddy McGahan or anybody else who has gone through the traumatic ordeal um, of of child sex or sex abuse at all. And I would never do such a thing. Um, In my view, all of these issues should be fully investigated and justice should be brought um, to to bear against the perpetrators. Um, So um, I'm happy to have that opportunity to clarify that 
because I do believe that what Paddy McGahan and the other victim in this case went through was entirely inexcusable, and I do hope that um, uh, that they receive some solace from the judgment that has been passed down already, um, and that if they need and require further answers, that they will be forthcoming. Uh, and do you uh, accept it when Paddy McGahan says that Seamus Marley's abuse of him and another man was covered up by members of Sinn Féin and the IRA, that uh, when it was established by the IRA that Paddy McGahan and this other man had been raped and uh, abused by Seamus Marley, they gave them the options of the IRA shooting him, uh, the lads beating him up or expelling him and they chose to have him expelled but he wasn't expelled instead he ended up working in Dublin with autistic children Listen, I don't know the full intricities I've no reason not to believe um, Paddy McGahan and what my understanding is in relation to any um, allegations that have ever been brought to the attention of Sinn Féin which is the only body that I can answer for that victims were um, in- encouraged to go to the Gardaí, who are the only body in this state that can investigate these matters. And I would urge anybody that has any information that would help Paddy or any other victim to bring that information to the Gardaí. Okay, and uh, can Paddy McGahan expect the full apology he's called for? Oh, I apologise if Paddy McGahan felt that I was minimising in any respect the experiences that he went through. Nobody should have had to go through what he went through. And if it appeared in any semblance or way that I was trying to minimise um, or suggest that um, his experiences were anything, anything less than horrendous, okay. then well, absolutely I would apologise for that. I somewhat simplistically outlined the complaint he has about how Sinn Féin dealt with his allegations. You say that you don't know what happened, uh, but uh, you believe that he would have been advised to go to the Gardaí and so on. But there is a, a grey issue here. Now, Regina Doherty, the Minister for Social Protection, has called for an independent commission of inquiry into the allegations. Is that something that you would support to establish whether what he is saying is true or not about Sinn Féin? Listen, I'm not going to play political games with these issues. What I'm saying is if people have information, they should bring it to the Gardaí um, and the Gardaí are the people who are charged with investigating these, these matters. Um, I'm not sure um, what the Minister is suggesting if she wants to bring forward a template proposal as to how such a commission would work, then absolutely you know, everybody, all options should be looked at. But the Minister is in government, so whatever... Um, such process were to take place it would be the government that would initiate it so I just hope that the minister isn't playing political games here because these issues are far too serious what I'm saying is that anybody that has any information that would help any victim of abuse um, find justice then that information should be brought to the Gardaí who are the people at present who are charged with investigating these matters. Okay, just uh, before you leave us uh, this morning, Matt Carthy, uh, can we talk about uh, the American President's visit uh, to London? Uh, And indeed, he'll be uh, joining us here tomorrow and over the course of uh, the next couple of days. Uh, Sinn Féin is a a political party, is protesting this, I believe. I think members of Sinn Féin will absolutely be out protesting, I think, as much about the obnoxious nature in which Donald Trump um, um, deals with um, his um, office and treats his office and treats people, particularly minority groups within his own country. But also I think many people would be taking the street, to the streets in protest against American 
foreign policy, particularly in relation to um, Palestine and the actions of Donald Trump that have led to an escalation of tension across the Middle Middle East. Um, So these are always um, difficult positions because while we all respect the office of presidency of the United States, at the same time, I think any right-thinking person would consider the politics of Donald Trump and especially the messaging of Donald Trump to be entirely obnoxious, it's sexist, it's racist, um, and as I say, it's inflammatory and many very sensitive issues. So yes, Sinn Féin members will be um, will be protesting um, during his visit as a mechanism to send out a signal that the views that are espoused by Donald Trump aren't shared by the Irish people. Okay, Matt, listen, thanks uh, for joining us, no doubt. Uh, Thank you, Mike. We'll get to speak to you uh, again over the course of uh, the five years uh, and uh, your next term in uh, the European Parliament, and congratulations again on being returned. Thank you indeed. Matt Carthy, Sinn Féin MEP. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's talk about that recount in Ireland South. Michael Brennan, political editor with the Sunday Business Post is on the line. Good morning, Michael. Thanks for joining us this morning. These are literally the last of the seats in the European Parliament to be filled, aren't they? That's right. Um, I I think nobody would have expected we'd still be talking about the European elections at this stage. But yes, because of the dispute over the final seat between Lena Reid of Sinn Féin, the sitting MEP in Ireland South, and the Green Party, Senator Grace O'Sullivan, who's ahead at the moment by 326 votes, they've had a recount and they're, they're just about to start it uh, today, you know, mm. and we're told now it should be done by, hopefully, by Friday, whereas there was previously predictions it might take a month. Right, uh, and why would it take so long? I think that comes down, Michael, to staffing. The, the, the expectation of the returning officer, Martin Harvey, was that he would only have a, a, a much reduced number of staff to count all the ballots all over again right from the start, and that, therefore, it would be done much more slowly. But we're told today that there's been agreement by Cork County Council and the court service to, I say, pony up more money to hire more staff and get it done, which I think is is only fair because um, the notion of of Lena Rida and Grace O'Sullivan having to wait, you know, a month for their fate to be determined, that that would seem to be particularly slow and and perhaps a bit cruel. And do we know how much more money, because uh, it's an expensive business uh, to carry out such a, a big count anyway, is it not? It is absolutely. Um, the figure flying around last week was a million euro, which uh, which I think uh, uh, you know raised a lot of eyebrows. And I'm sure a lot of people could think of better things for for a million euro to be spent on from the state's budget. The returning officer seems to be uh, telling RT lately that it's going to be less than that, but I haven't seen a, a specific figure on it. But it it is it is very expensive, as in you have 130 people apparently uh, for counting, 20 to supervise, so that every thing is done correctly and you haven't to Zimbabwe style situation of of dodgy dodgy vote counting or whatever mm-hmm. so so that it is going to be costlier certainly talking I would I would imagine hundreds of thousands if not if not the million my god will it make any difference after we've spent hundreds of thousands of euro or a million euro uh, can she bridge that gap 327 votes uh, seems a, a lot uh, of mistakes to have made in the first count it does. You know, the argument is made that, you know, you're looking at uh, over two quarters of a million votes in total, so it's reasonable to recheck them, you know, because proportionally that 326 votes is a, is a small number. But 
I, I suppose I was thinking about this myself in terms of the rationale for it. There's two perspectives. One is that sometimes when you're defeated in life and it looks like you're defeated, you should just accept it and move quickly on. That was one option for Leonie Rida. The second perspective, though, is that she's been an MEP for five years. She's lost in the presidential election last year. She looks like to have lost in, in this count. And she'll be out of a job uh, by, by, by this, by virtue of this. She'll have to go and, and look to find something else to to support her and her family. So I suppose if you or I were in that situation, you might well look for a recount and hope against hope. But realistically, I think it's it asks an awful lot for 326 votes to be made up. I think more than likely at the end of the week, you'll have Grace O'Sullivan confirmed as, as the victor. OK, if that is uh, the case, uh, would it be easier to split the difference and give her 500,000? <laughs> Yeah, I know there's a, there is a, there is all of that. I, I think, look, there's a tradition of, of recounts and so on in Irish politics, and you, you've seen the demands by some for, for the famous electronic voting machines to be brought back in, you know, and we've, mm. we've sold them off for a scrap, so we'd have to buy new ones. I, I think that would be a, a big bone of contention again for people because in the era we're in where your your details on the internet can be robbed off a database and stolen by someone on the other side of the world, I think people would be very uh, wary of, of moving quickly to electronic voting. And, are they you know, not using a, it elsewhere, though? I mean, uh, how are other MEPs uh, uh, elected in other countries, Michael? Are, are the uh, people in Germany going out with their Pian Louis? I have to confess, I'm not. I'm not sure, sure on that mm. front, uh, Michael. I'm certainly uh, sure it, it is used in, in certainly in other countries, mm. um, and we haven't heard of any major voting scandals. The problem is the previous time it was attempted by uh, the Fianna Fáil-led government, they, there was no public trust. Uh, the, the the machines themselves didn't stand up to mm. testing and scrutiny. So I think whenever you fail once, it makes it harder to succeed again. And, and I don't detect any huge political will to, to go down that route at the moment. OK, and of course, uh, a lot of us uh, remember how disastrous they were, the cost of demand, indeed, uh, the cost uh, it... Uh, was a lot of money uh, storing them in Gormanston for years after that, uh, but you wouldn't be in, in favour of e-voting. Uh, would the counts have been easier and quicker uh, and more relevant had there been less candidates on the paper? Yeah, I think I think that was that, that was certainly a problem. Literally, there was there was a there were so many different candidates in Ireland South. I think uh, from memory, you know, at least at least seventeen to nineteen, something like that, um, and and a load of them were independents who being brutally honest, nobody had heard much of beforehand. Some of them some of them did have a little profile. Mm-hmm. The difficulty though the system has is how do you how do you uh, effectively restrict people's right to entry without being accused of tampering with democracy because, mm-hmm. you know, then you're you're getting someone to rule one option is you could ask ask someone to get nominations from councils and so on, you know, as you have to do for the presidential election. Or maybe um, a few thousand uh, signatures proposing you, because I think it's only uh, around 60 signatures you need to get your name in the paper now. Uh, and you look at the size of uh, these constituencies uh, and you're hoping to represent hundreds of thousands of people. 
That's right. And I, I think that wouldn't be unfair to, to, to ask for the bar to be lifted a little bit because um, it, it struck me watching the televised debates um, and RT did their level best to be uh, as fair as they could given the numbers of candidates. You got effectively a, a one-minute ad on television to ta- introduce yourself to the nation and I could see a couple of people uh, being attracted by that in five years' time if they thought they could get on telly for a minute for free just by gathering those, those 60 or so signatures. Mm. Okay, uh, well, it's going to be a, a busy week between uh, the recount uh, and indeed uh, the Donald Trump visit. Uh, are you expecting many people to come out and protest over the course of uh, the next few days? Uh, there's protests, uh, big protests, uh, I think, planned in Dublin, but other protests uh, across the country. Yeah, I, I, th- I think you'll you'll see a healthy a healthy uh, show of dissent, you know, for Donald Trump's arrival, and there will be the the big debate about, you know, uh, you know, is he welcome here and all the rest of it. But I, I think the one factor that is very clear is, you know, you've got over a quarter of a million people employed in in sort of U.S. multinationals here. You've got even more people indirectly doing sort of work for them or their companies working for them. So the U.S. is a huge power in Ireland. You know, forget about the historical ties to Irish immigrants and so on. In the here and now, there's there's enormous money involved. So naturally, the the, the state is going to roll out the red carpet for Donald Trump. Um, you know, Leo Radker may may not be his biggest fan, but at the same time, there's a huge you know economic and diplomatic interest in in having him here and and uh, and basically keeping relations at least uh, open with him, if not maybe very warm. Okay, we'll be watching the tweets. Michael, thank you indeed, as always, for joining us. Michael Brennan, political editor with uh, the Sunday Business Post. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents uh, Garda are investigating locally, and perhaps you can assist with uh, those investigations. Garda Noel Lochran of uh, Drogheda Station joins us for the report this week. And we begin in Kells, where Garda are investigating a car hijacking. Yes, uh, Garda Kells Station are investigating after a car was hijacked in the Kells area in the early hours of Thursday last, May the 30th. Uh, at around one in the morning, a man was driving at Drewstown outside Kellstown when his car was hit from behind by another car. Uh, this car then pulled up alongside the driver and sprayed him what appears to have been pepper spray. Uh, they then stole his car, a silver Vauxhall insignia, with an 11MH registration. Local Gardaí are anxious to identify those involved in this incident and anyone who may know the location of this car is asked to contact uh, Kells Garda Station. Okay, we go to Clogher Head and uh, a break-in that's been investigated that people perhaps can assist with. Yes, uh, Gardaí and Clogher Head are seeking witnesses to a break-in over the weekend. On Saturday morning last June the 1st, a uh, break-in was discovered at the Dreadnoughts GAA grounds in the village. A uh, shed beside the club rooms is broken into and lawnmower and other tools were taken from the club. Uh, anyone who was in the area on Friday night or Saturday morning and saw unusual activity in the area or indeed anyone who may have been offered these tools for sale is asked to contact uh, local guardie at Clarehead Station. Okay, we're in Dundalk next uh, where undoubtedly people uh, who are reading the local papers uh, are uh, aware of a terrible incident and you're hoping uh, that somebody may be able to come forward with information about a hit and run that took place on Barrack Street. Yes, uh, Dundalk Gardaí are seeking the public's help in identifying the occupants of a car which was involved in a hit and run in the town on Saturday morning last June the 1st. Uh, just before 10 o'clock on Saturday morning, 
Uh, a man was walking along the footpath on Barrack Street. He was hit from behind by a car travelling at speed and he was dragged uh, under the vehicle, causing him extensive injuries. This car then sped off up Barrack Street and turned left onto the Inner Relief Road. Uh, the car involved was a Ford Focus and anyone who may have any information relating to the location of this car or its occupants is asked to contact the dock guard station. Okay, now to a, a curious burglary uh, that uh, occurred in Jenkinstown. Yes, uh, Guardian Carlingford are looking to identify three men involved in the burglary in the area on Friday last, May the 31st. At around midday on Friday last, three men uh, forced their way into a house at Piedmont in Jenkinstown by impersonating as, as Gardaí. Uh, they left the house in a black Audi car with a possible 06 or 07 registration with what may have been CW Carlo uh, reg plates. Anyone who may have seen this car acting suspiciously uh, in the Jenkinson area is asked to contact a local Garda station. And again, we want to assure people that all genuine callers to your door from all service providers do mm-hmm. carry ID at all times and are happy to produce it when asked to do and so. And it is a, an offence to impersonate a member of Angarda Shiakona it in itself. OK, uh, we go to Drada and uh, some worrying incidents uh, to report on a car fire to begin with. Yes, uh, Drada Gardaí are seeking information following two incidents of criminal damage in the town over the last few days. Uh, the first was a car fire in the early hours of Sunday last June the 2nd. At around 2am, a car was set alight outside a house in Rowan Heights in the Marnies Lane area of the town. Two young men, possibly teenagers, were seen at the car at the time and they fled towards uh, Marnies Lane. This morning at 2.15am, a brick was thrown through a window at a house in the green in Trade of View and an accelerant was used to cause a fire. And there were three people in this house at the time, but luckily no one was injured in this incident. Again, anyone with any information regarding this is asked to contact uh, Drogheda Garda Station. Okay, to the next incident, uh, which is uh, a suspicious uh, approach, which may be of concern to parents in Dunshockland, but also parents further afield. Yes, the Dunshockland Garda received the report over the weekend of a suspicious approach to a teenage girl. It happened on the Drumree Road in Dunshockland shortly before 5pm on Sunday evening last June the 2nd. The girl was walking along the road when a car pulled up along uh, beside her and the passenger asked her to get into the car. The girl ran off and then the car turned and drove off towards Dublin. There were two men in this car. One was bald with, uh, and wore a black leather jacket. The car was a small white hatchback car with Irish reg plates. Again, anyone who saw any unusual activity in that area on Sunday evening last is asked to contact in Shockland Gardaí. OK, and we're going to conclude with a robbery in Navan. This happened overnight, did it? Yes, um, Navan Gardaí received a report from a man who was robbed in the town in the early hours of this morning. Uh, at just after 3am this morning, a man was walking along the Trim Road in Navan, close to the Lidl supermarket, uh, when he was approached by two men who threatened him with a knife. He was assaulted by them and he had his phone, wallet, coat and shoes stolen from him. Uh, again, local Gardaí... At Navan Station, they're anxious to speak to anyone who may have been in the Trim Road area of Navan between 3 and 4 a.m. this morning and saw any un- uh, unusual activity in the area. And again, for this, or for any other crime mentioned today, uh, Gardaí can also be contacted on our confidential line, which is one 800 
treble six, treble one. Thank you indeed. Garda Noel Lochran of Drogheda Garda Station and we'll return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. Now, before we leave you today, let's take a look at some of these letters to the Irish Examiner. As I mentioned earlier on, there's letters from a lot of people representing a lot of organisations and groups in the country and the subject that they're all writing about is the visit of Donald Trump to this country. Colm O'Gorman is the Executive Director with Amnesty International Ireland and he writes, Dear Mr President, Ireland is a different country from its past, moving forwards, not retreating backwards. We've made huge strides from LGBTI to reproductive rights, uh, among so many others. Your visit makes it even more blatantly clear to me that we can never take these rights for granted. Amnesty's role is to hold leaders to account. We challenged President Obama and we are challenging you. Locking up child migrants, discriminatory travel bans, disseminating global funding for women's rights and withdrawing from human rights bodies. It's been a roll call of shame under your presidency and you have emboldened support for horrific policies from border authorities intentionally inflicting mental anguish on child migrants to the Alabama Senate's abortion ban that will endanger pregnant people's lives. The USA is seeing a dark rollback on human rights. Your inflammatory and hateful rhetoric has real-life consequences. It's clear you know this, and yet it has only gotten worse. So this letter is to tell you unequivocally, all of us who believe in human rights and basic decency will resist you. We will resist your sexism, your racism, your hate and cruelty, and we will win. As I say, that's the letter uh, that was written by Colm O'Gorman to the Irish Examiner. Uh, Let's uh, hear what Orla O'Connor, who's uh, director of the National Women's Council of Ireland, has to say. As the largest national women's organisation in Ireland, representing more than 180 groups across the country, we are supporting the protest on the occasion of your visit to Ireland. We are making a public statement against the current US administration's complete disregard for women's rights and human rights in the US and globally. By supporting the protest, we are expressing our solidarity with women's and human rights organisations in the US who are seriously affected by the current rollback on rights, in particular in relation to women's reproductive rights and LGBT plus rights. As a key global influencer, the US is actively working to undermine our international human rights structure at UN level. Instead of leading by example, the US has failed to pay its UN membership fee, thus destabilising crucial international human rights systems. The US is also actively supporting measures that threaten women's safety and rights in conflict zones. In particular, the US was closely involved in the UN Security Council's failure to pass a resolution which would respect women's rights to autonomy over their own bodies, including as a survivors of sexual violence and conflict. For a country to be great, it must uphold the principles of equality and human rights. As I say, that's the letter from Orla O'Connor of uh, the National Women's Council. The Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign say, we would like to welcome you to Ireland. Ireland is the land of 100,000 welcomes after all, but alas, we don't have a single solitary falcher road for you. Why? 
because we are an organisation that is fundamentally opposed to racism, bigotry, misogyny, xenophobia, environmental destruction, war and imperialism. And you are someone who is happy to wallow in the politics of all of these, like a pig in shite, as we say here. We are also opposed to the brutally oppressive regime the apartheid state of Israel has imposed upon the Palestinian people. And this is a regime you wholeheartedly support, enable and indeed fund with US taxpayers' money. So much for less taxes. Somehow, against all odds, you managed to find yourself stumbling into the position of most powerful political leader on the planet, helped in no small part by the ineptitude of the Democrats since uh, assuming power, your administration has become a clear and present danger to the survival of our planet and everyone on it. Thus, we have one simple request. Can you do the whole world a favour and just please go back to being a failing businessman and C-list celebrity? Gaurav Mila Mahogot, as I say, that's uh, the letter to the Irish Examiner from the Ireland-Palestine Solidarity Campaign. And the final word on today's programme, because our time has run out on us once again. Before we go, thanks to Maggie McGuire and Ross Leahy for researching Chris Murray in the Control Tower. And remember, there'll be a podcast available of today's programme on our website, lmfm.ie, later this afternoon. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.